0: And my time fellowshipping with the Lord uh, over the last several weeks and thinking about where we as a church, m- my sense is that, that returning to first Corinthians <laughs> at some point in the, in the not too distant future is a good thing. There's so much that's still left in that book that we were, we've been in and out of around various mini series for a long time. Um, but, but I, I have sensed and processed through, an idea that I think would be good and, and hopefully according to the Holy spirit as well, him working in, in us all you through, through your prayers for me. Um, I would like us to spend a few weeks in a, in a series, a little mini series I'm calling devoted. And the idea of this series is to help us come back again or help us stay. If, if we're already there, cause some of you guys are already there in the simple idea of, Devoted, being devoted, being devoted to the Lord, being devoted to one another and being devoted to the mission to proclaim Jesus to the lost around us. I'm using that word devoted in the spirit in which I intend to use it in the spirit in which it was used in this famous phrase in acts two, four, two, where we learn about the very first church, they were continually devoting themselves. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. This isn't an incidental verse. Luke is telling us about the church as it existed just after Pentecost, just after the Holy Spirit, rain down and filled God's people as he never had before as a community on the whole earth. And he's saying, this is what happened. This is what they looked like. This is what the first church full of the Holy spirit, like no community have ever been full of the Holy spirit before looked like. And he says they were devoted. They were devoted. They were devoted to the apostles teaching, They were devoted to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. So before we kind of do a a quick summary of those categories, let's talk about this word devoted. They were devoted. They were devoting themselves. Webster's defines it this way. The fact or state of being ardently dedicated and loyal. Now, just a little disclaimer here, Webster's isn't the Bible, but when translators look for words in English to, to assimilate or to, to reflect what the Greek words are, they look at what the English words mean. And so when they choose devoted in their studies and in their classes and in their, their interpretive rigors, they're choosing it on purpose and they're choosing it out of the English definitions of these words. So here's why they chose this word, because it communicates this, the fact or state of being ardently dedicated and loyal, the act of dedicating something to a cause, in this case, their hearts to an enterprise or activity, the devotion of a great deal of time and energy. But but there's an emotion to this word that comes across here too, in the synonyms I think do, a, do an even better job to open this up than just that strict definition, the synonyms of adoring, affectionate, fond, loving, tender, tender hearted. Now you're kind of seeing words that you hear in the new Testament as Paul talks about what we are to be towards each other and what Christ Jesus is towards us. And so we can apply this word devoted in all its meaning to these places of devotion. The apostles teaching, fellowship, prayer, breaking of bed. So let's just briefly take each one. Apostles teaching. It's God's word, especially, and most importantly, the distinctive message about Jesus. That was something they were devoted to. It wasn't wrote to them. It wasn't drudgery. It wasn't merely duty to them, at least not at first. It wasn't boring to them. It wasn't awkward to them. They were devoted to it. They were excited about it. They were dedicated to it. They were loyal to it. They adored it. They were devoted to fellowship. This means much more than they met together to hear the word. It does mean that it's not less than that. They came around together around the word, but it means that this, this teaching of the apostles about Jesus that they were devoted to as they looked at God together and they saw who he was together together. Well, the Holy Spirit that lived in them, he used it to turn them towards each other. Something was going on about the apostles teaching and the Holy Spirit's work that caused them to to turn towards one another as opposed to away from one another. And all this makes perfect sense to be devoted to the apostles teaching about Jesus, to be devoted to Jesus through his truth is to be devoted to the one who says by this, By this, all men, all people will know you're my disciples. If you love one another, so they weren't just friendly, they were devoted to one another. They were devoted to prayer. It wasn't perfunctory. It wasn't simply liturgical. It was marked by a focus and a a loving affection for its use, a respect for this, this gift, that Jesus had opened that they'd never had before through his blood to converse with the living God with absolute confidence to know that they were welcomed to this place, especially for these Jewish people. They knew the, the preciousness of being in God's presence, it was something only the high priest could do once a year for the whole nation. And now they were told you can come to God yourselves any moment. And they were devoted to this. They were devoted to breaking bread together. This is probably connected to what we read in Acts 2 elsewhere that they, they held everything in common. They shared what they had with each other and no less than sharing the the most basic of all necessities, their food. They ate together. They were devoted to caring for each other's needs. They were also together sharing the enjoyment of food together. And we go back to those synonyms again, adoring, affectionate, fond, loving, tender, loyal, dedicated. Coming back to kind of the onus for this series, this, this mini series. Many months ago, I talked with you all about this sense of a, of a word I'd had. I, I wondered if the Lord had given it for me, for our church. And that idea was get ready, be prepared prepare yourselves for the people I'm going to bring you by paying better attention to the people who are with you now. And that was just the idea as best I can say it. Prepare for the people I'm going to bring you by paying better attention to the people who are here now. And so if you remember in the fall, I've spent a few weeks going through some passages in John to see where we could find that idea of finding its anchor in the Bible and not simply a, a prophetic word that, that couldn't be tested and evaluated for its biblical legitimacy. And, and I've, I've continued to mull over that. That, that word has continued to pester me. Um, I spent some time a couple weeks ago talking to Matt Meka about it, the pastor at Mount Airy. It was encouraging to find out that for Matt, and I'm not saying, you know, this is in my lonely pastor place where I'm looking for a kind of talking shop. Like, is this okay? You know, Matt very much listens to the Lord. And and if you know Matt or have heard his teaching, he is a very biblically careful guy, very careful about expositing scriptures with integrity, but, but he, he senses the Lord speaking to him about how to care for his church. And so kind of in those waters is kind of a new thing for me. Like, Lord, are you actually, I want, but I, I really do think this is where God wants us that he really, he does want me paying better attention to you as opposed to having my eyes on how are we going to grow? How are we going to grow? I think the Lord is saying, if you want me to grow your church, love each other. Well, right now, steward one another. Well, and isn't that the principle we hear Jesus saying, you know, he who is faithful, little will be faithful with much. And so God is calling me and I think he's calling all of us, to be devoted to one another, this word devoted, taking care of one another. One of my dreams for our church in the next year is that we would, would be a church that, that starts to get bothered by seeing people we don't know really. I don't mean we don't know them, but we don't really know them walking in each week and we have no idea how they're doing. We have no idea who's loving on them or who they're loving. Like I'm ambitious to be a church where where, when you start seeing a young man here coming weeks after weeks after weeks, and you don't know where he goes or who he is, it just bothers you. Like who is loving that man and who is he loving? How can I help that person find devotion from people? And how can I help him to be devoted to other people? or a woman, man or a woman. And, and so in this series, I want to stay with this word devoted. And I'd like to, if the Lord allows, use it to help us increase our sense of, of the gravity of what it means to be a church family united together around Jesus. And sort of my plan for the, the series is to come back to acts two four two, and to take the focus of these points of devotion and, and look at each one, the apostles teaching, fellowship, prayer, and in breaking of bread, I'm, I'm looking at that as hospitality and sharing kind of a broader category than breaking of bread, but not less than breaking in and bread. And, and, and also use those categories to find other places where the Holy Spirit maybe shines his light on those categories and other places in the word of God. So that, so that our, our devotion to these things would, would also be stirred up and sustained as we look at what it means to be devoted, devoted, And today I want to start with the focus on devotion that Luke starts with in Acts 4-2, Acts 2 which is the apostles teaching. And in kind of the place I've gone to zero in on the apostles teaching is the book of Hebrews and, and a passage that's about the apostles teaching that gives us reasons why we should be devoted to the apostles teaching. And in that book, the author starts out by proclaiming, in the very beginning, he says, and I don't have this passage up there, but he, he says, in the past, God spoke to us in various ways through his prophets. And he says, but in these last days, he has spoken to us through his son. And, and the author is kind of saying in a way, this is it. Like it, it doesn't get better than this before the return of Christ when he comes to judge the world. This is our chance as a human race to respond to God before he comes to evaluate our response. This is the last days. This is the, and in one sense, some authors say this is the first phase of God's redemptive conclusive activity. Like Jesus has come. He's only going to come closer. but he's come and he's revealed God to us. And the author says he is the exact representation of God's being. He is the exact image of his glory. He says, he says, what Jesus says is John, anyone who has seen me has seen the father. There's nothing more important your Your thoughts about God, your circumstances, words you might receive from the Lord, which can all be blessed and good. There's nothing though more important than God as he reveals himself in Jesus Christ. And he's done that. And he's testified to it in the word of God. And the author says, after he made purification for our sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. And now he's waiting until the day when God will put everything under his feet forever. He's made purification for our sins. The author says and that that's, that's the big theme of the whole book of Hebrews is world hear this through Jesus Christ. God has, if you will have him, if you will receive him, if you will embrace him, God has put away your sin. He has made satisfaction in the atonement of Jesus Christ for all of our sins. But you have to embrace this. You have to receive this. God's got nothing more important to say to the world than this. This is the last important thing God says to us before he returns to judge the living and the dead. Embrace my son as the, Purification as the atonement for your sins. And then he he talks for a little while about how Jesus is really God, how he's greater than the angels, how he's eternal. And then starting in chapter two, after trying to tell them, this is what God has to say to the world and can say nothing greater or more important to the world than Jesus Christ offered for you. He he then says this to the church he's writing to. Therefore we must pay closer attention. And I do have this, uh, Logan. We must pay closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels, and I'll talk about what he means there in a second, proved to be reliable and every transgression of disobedience received just retribution. How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord and was attested to us by those who heard while God also bore witness by signs and wonders, various miracles and by gifts of the Holy spirit distributed according to his will. So let's go through this exhortation for us. Kind of theme by theme. First, the message, the message. So great is salvation. That's the message. The author's concerned for his readers. He's also worried for himself. He puts a first person plural in there. We must, we're all vulnerable. He says to drift away. We're all vulnerable to drift away from, from what? this message, he compares the message to what was declared by angels and what he's talking about there. And I'm not gonna spend a ton of time on this. It's a little, it's, it's basically the idea that, and we see this in Galatians two and from in, in another translation of the Hebrew uh, old Testament called the called the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the, of the Hebrew old Testament that when God brought the law to Moses, he, he was with angels. And so angels were were part of God helping the Israelites get the law. So he's saying, listen, this old covenant, that's what he's, he's really shining a light on. If this old covenant, if it was binding on the Israelites, how much more binding will, will this message brought not by angels, but by God himself be binding on us. Verse four, this salvation was declared at first by the Lord. It it wasn't proclaimed by angels to us. It was proclaimed by Jesus himself, God, the son. And so this message that that we, we can drift away from, the author says that he's worried about us drifting away from, that he's worried about himself drifting away from, is the good news of Jesus Christ. It's the message of the gospel. And he says, the Lord declared it first. And we can think of John 3. We get lots of passages, but the Lord declared it there in John 3 in the famous passage that we're all familiar with. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. There we hear the Lord himself declaring this message, which must not be neglected which we can drift away from and he says it was attested to us by those who heard. And now he's saying "Now follow me here. He's saying it was the apostles teaching. Those who heard are the apostles. Jesus said to them in John 15, you will testify also because you have been me with, with me from the beginning. And then a few moments later, Jesus prays for all believers throughout human history who will believe on him through the message of simply the first apostles who saw him. And after Jesus did so, the author says, these apostles did indeed proclaim that message and accompanying their proclamation were signs and wonders and gifts of the Holy spirit that testified to its truth. And we've said this before. I want to say it again. This is why each Sunday all across the earth and in our church, Churches preach the words of these apostles because Jesus prayed that it would be through their testimony that you would believe. That's why I open up the book of Matthew and Paul's letter to the Corinthians or the Galatians and Peter's letters. That's why I don't open up the book of Albert or simply the book of Calvin or just the book of Jerry bridges. We're going to look at it today those guys get their messages from the same place I get my messages from these apostles that Jesus anointed. To have this unique message to bring to the world. And that's what Acts 2.4.2 says the first church was devoted to. To their message. The apostles teaching. Why is it great? The Hebrews author says, how will we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? And I know it's kind of like a duh thing. I know why it's great but I think that's part of the problem. Like when my emotions say, I know why it's great. I don't really know why it's great. (laughs) Like not right now, not, not in the moment. My affections aren't catching up with the gravity and the power of this message. It's why earlier I said we have eyes, but we can't make them see. We have ears that we can't make them hear. It takes a lot more than just reading the pages or hearing a sermon to make your heart act in step with the reality of what's being proclaimed. And we've got to fight for that. For ourselves, for our children, that we would even want to share this message with them. And certainly for so many people around us that we would actually see this message as the most important, most beautiful message in the universe. Like that our hearts would agree to its worth. Otherwise, we're not going to share it. We're going to go to all the other things that our hearts think is really beautiful and nice. Like the shows that we love and the cars that we drive and the new friend we've really connected with, we're gonna gonna follow those things and proclaim those things instead of in front of Jesus. But he says, this is a great salvation. It's a great salvation. Well, first look at that word salvation. R.C. Sproul, he's famous for, for saying that whenever someone would ask him, are you saved? Do you know what he would say? Anybody know? They'd ask him on the college campuses where maybe he taught or he walked around or the seminaries, they'd say, are you saved? And he'd say, saved from what? (laughs) In his big R.C. Sproul voice. He knew what he was saved from. He wanted to know, did they know what they were asking him about what he was saved from? So we can forget salvation is a rescue. It's a deliverance from something. And this is where Christianity gets more awkward. (laughs) And where, where it gets more potentially intrusive and it doesn't go down as easy because salvation means being delivered from something. And in the context of Jesus Christ, it means being delivered from something awful. And that is God's wrath. God's wrath. See, The message of Christianity is that God loves the whole world, but he's deeply, deeply angry with the whole world. Psalm five says one of the hardest things you can hear in the, in the Bible. God hates the sinner in his sin. I didn't invent that. (laughs) That's what Psalm five says. God also loves the sinner so much that he sent his son to spill his blood out for the sinner. So salvation is being rescued from the anger of God at our rejection of him. We are rescued from what Jesus calls God's wrath in John 3. What Paul calls God's wrath in Romans 1. What Ephesians 2 calls God's wrath. It's God's just, righteous anger at our rejection of Him. And Jesus says that if you're not rescued from that anger, God will cast you to a place of eternal punishment. Aren't these words hard to hear? Aren't they hard to hear in 2020? They're hard for me to hear. I I almost want to apologize for saying things that Jesus spoke plainly of. I can't do that. We can't do that. He calls it a place of outer darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. He calls it a place named hell where he says the worm never dies. And the fire is never quenched. He says that we're rescued from an adulterous heart that loves all the good that God has made, but doesn't want God. As we said last week, our hearts so easily want, all the good that God has made, but they do not want, apart from God's work, they do not want God. I, I want the food he gives. I want the friends he gives. I want to have those soulmate connections. I want to be able to make love to my wife. I want prosperity. I want a fulfilling career and a sense of virtue and accomplishment. I want those things a lot. It is so easy for me to not want God every day. That's my waking default setting. I don't want him when I wake up. Maybe you do praise God. There are people who wake up totally wanting him. I'm not one of them. I need to do surgery again. <laughs> Every day. The first word should be out of my mouth. God help me want you. And he helps. But this great salvation is what helps us. It changes all of that. It He does save us from that adulterous heart. He does forgive us again and again and and put us into contact again with the new creation that we are in Jesus Christ. This great salvation last week, we we called it what, what the author of Hebrews will call it in, in just a little while in this book. It's called the new covenant. Remember, we talked about last week where God says he puts his law on our hearts. He writes it on our minds. He he puts his spirit inside us. He removes our heart of stone that doesn't want him. I mean, doesn't want him in the morning and then doesn't want him at lunch and then doesn't want him at dinner. Doesn't even want to want him. I mean, I can say by God's grace, many days you will find me moving from a place of not wanting to God to wanting God. And that's because of the new covenant where he washes my heart. So the newness starts to exist again. and, And his law is on my heart, the law of loving him. And that's what happens to you guys every day. But this is what he gives us in this great salvation. And the root of it all is what he tells us at the end of what we looked at last week, he's able to do all of this because he has forgiven our sins and remembered our iniquities no more through the blood of Jesus Christ. He says, I won't remember your sins any more. My son has covered them all. I have spilled his blood for them. That, Blood is an offering well-sufficient for everything that you've done or will do against me. I will also bring him to my right hand where he will forever intercede for you to keep you from finally and fully falling away from me. I will also open my holy throne. I will open the throne of my presence to your presence where I will call you to boldly come to me because of Jesus' blood and how worth it, it is to be bold, to come to me as your father for all the grace and mercy you need in every trial and every temptation, if you will believe me for that. And finally, as your fight of faith through my spirit and working you, as it comes to an end, I will, I will bring your spirit to myself after it leaves your most likely rickety old body of bones and skin. I will bring it to myself and keep you in my presence with exceeding great joy until I redeem you completely with all creation in the resurrection of the dead. This is the salvation that the author says is so great a salvation. But the danger is, is real. Real. that that we can drift from this great salvation. We can drift from this message, which on one hand gives me a little bit of comfort because I don't feel like such an outcast when I, when I can struggle so much with my affection for God because obviously it's a danger for him or whoever wrote this book. He says, I can drift. I have a new heart. I have a new creation, but I can drift. I believe I'm, I'm going to make it to the end, but I also f- need to respect the fact that I could be taken out and not know that I'm, I'm not really his. And so I have to watch because I can drift drift in the original language. It carries the imagery of a boat drifting on the sea and maybe more, maybe more in point, it also carries the image of a ring quietly, slowly slipping off the finger. Drift does not come suddenly and violently in this passage. It comes, comes gently through neglect through the passivity of neglect. I don't have to start a cult (laughs) to drift. I don't have to commit adultery to drift. I just have to coast and move into passive mode and stop pursuing. If, if devotion to the apostles teaching marked this first season of the church in acts, if devotion had an opposite syn- synonym it, or an antonym, it, it would be this word neglect. Devotion over here, <laughs> the opposite of devotion is neglect. Neglect is the sleepy, quiet, apathetic brother to apostasy. They're buddies. But before a marriage experiences adultery, a lot of times it experiences this slow, subtle pathway of just simple neglect, just not taking care of it, not paying attention to it. And that pathway may have been paved for a long time over one spouse or the other. And then the fruit blossoms into something that, that really shows that this thing has been neglected. And so that's what he's really talking about here is don't, don't live in neglect. Don't live in drift. There's a lot of time where God will be merciful as we drift and God will be merciful as we neglect, but we don't want to get to that place where that neglect turns into a hard wall that we can't get back through. That we might never one day wake up and realize we just don't believe this stuff anymore. We just don't believe this stuff anymore. Not because we went through some dark night of the soul where we battled And we asked people to pray for us and we, we counseled and we fought through terrible doubts and we just lost. But, 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 but we just started to neglect this thing. It's just, we go to church, maybe we go to care group, we go to a Bible study, but over increasingly we just don't engage with the word of God. When we're there, we're looking at our phones in the back. I'm not calling you out if that's what you're doing right now because you're looking at verses, but, but I remember when we were at Tuscarora, I'd, I'd walk through the back of the room and I'd see these kids, you know, their heads down in the middle of Chris's message. just week after week after week, they weren't looking at Bible verses. I'm not trying to pick on them. I'm just saying that the, it, it, it just can happen. We don't engage with people. We don't, we don't try to give our hearts to them. We don't try to find out about them and draw their hearts for Jesus sake to ours. We just kind of come and go at home. The word has picked up less and less and less and less. We deal with the dishes. We deal with the kids, the pets, the lawns, the cars. We go to work. We watch our shows. We work some of our hobbies. We we eat, drink, and we're merry. (laughs) and we end another week and we start the whole thing again. And those kinds of weeks turn into months and those kinds of months turn in slowly turn into years. And in some of those situations, Satan doesn't want to do anything dramatic because he doesn't want to wake you up from that. But in God's mercy, a lot of times he will do something dramatic (laughs) to wake you up from that. He has with me. Maybe, maybe, maybe we used to be devoted. The church had its first Pentecost and some of us had our first Pentecost, right? We, we found one day we came to Jesus and our hearts were so full of him. We were devoted. We, when we first awoke to Jesus, our zeal was so great. We wanted his word. We were devoted to the apostles teaching in his new Testament. And, and sometimes God brought us great trials early in those days that like me, that it caused us to hunger deeply for him. It wasn't just my zeal; it was God brought me into the desert to be tempted by the devil, <laughs> just like He did with Jesus after He got saved. You know, after He got baptized, Jesus didn't get saved, but but maybe now we don't feel as hungry or as desperate. We've grown older; our lives have become more crowded. And that has happened to me so often, where I've just seen my life is so crowded all these kids everywhere and I love them, but they're just, they're not helping me have my quiet times and Mark for Oh, and not just the kids, but then like the air conditioning unit, right? And the filters and a car. I just got a new car. I drove this 2001 Saturn LS from my dad. I drove, it's almost 20 year old car. It died. Did I tell you guys it died? I told some of you guys, but it died a couple of weeks ago. And, um, I found this car like a third off of what it would have cost, you know, at, at a dealer. It was an amazing gift. It was way less expensive than an SUV that we were thinking about getting. And this 2015 Toyota dad car and it's so great. I've never driven in a car in my whole life this beautiful and precious. I feel like a king. You know, I get in it and it's just like, behold, dad car, you know? And, and, I, and I, f- I found like, I mean, honestly, like there were just a couple of days last week where I just, I just wanted to get in my car and just experience the car. I mean, the car I had, I wanted the church to see. And behold, the, the side mirror was duct taped. You know, some of you guys saw that and the, 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 the roof was gone. Like I had to pull all the roof and the um, the seat springs in the seat had gone, like completely gone. So when you sat in the seat, it, it just went like this. And so I used all these pillows, like tons of pillows and old binders from old like meetings. I put binders under there and propped it up. And I just wanted everybody to see how I was suffering for the gospel in this Saturn, you know, look at pastor Al. He's so dedicated to the Lord. (sighs) But now my boast is taken away and I have this Toyota Camry 2015 Toyota Avalon. It's not as wanted as a Camry. That's why it's cheaper, oddly or less wanted, but, but it's, it's like, and I think God wants me to enjoy it. Right. But it's so easy for me to move from enjoyment to, I find my life in this thing. Jesus said the word of God first sprouted in the soil of some hearts, but then over time it died. And how did it die? He said, the cares of the world, And the deceitfulness of riches and the desire for other things enter in and choke the word and proves unfruitful. He didn't say that it was in them, but they committed adultery. It was in them, but then they robbed a bank or (laughs) it was in them, but then they converted to Islam and rejected Jesus. He just says it was the desire for other things, the cares of the world. It was my lawn and my air conditioning unit and this new show and my, I love cooking, you know, steaks on iron skillet. And and so like... (laughs) all these good things that God gives us gifts. He does give them as gifts. Like he wants you to enjoy your marriages and your children, if you can have them and enjoy them. And many of us can't, but he wants you to enjoy this world and this life. He tells us that, but it's so easy for our hearts to move from that place of enjoying the things that he's given to pushing him out of the way so that he doesn't have first place in our hearts And that's my, my, my battle is so much there. And that comes the apostle says through neglecting this message of Jesus, just neglecting it over time and ignoring the warnings about neglect. And so we make room for this drifting from the great salvation. We make room. And then we make room for other salvations of our own making. Like I'm saved. I said a prayer. I had that experience years ago. I, I let it go. I can let it go or other gospels like I'm a decent person. I haven't done anything that bad or, or other gospels like God isn't really gonna send people to hell. That is primitive and barbaric. A good God would never do that. Folks, that, that is telling God what he can do with justice and with love and with eternity as if you knew better than him Another gospel is everyone's basically good. We just need to find peace in our own way. Those gospels creep in. Or I found there's too many negatives in the Bible. I want to focus on the things that help me reach my destiny. Positive thinking. Or or the word just doesn't work for me anymore. I just find other ways to find spiritual. These, These are all other gospels that neglect paves the way for. No, Jesus says, no. He says, if anyone does not remain in me, he's like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are gathered up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, my words remain in you. Ask whatever you wish, it will be done for you. This is to my father's glory that you bear much fruit, proving yourselves to me, my disciples. Folks, I will tell you right now that I am not addicted to pornography. I am not, as far as I know, stealing uh, or, or um, you know, dishonoring the memory of my parents. I am not um, aware of ways that I am embezzling funds from the church or using illicit drugs or getting drunk. I am in danger. I am in danger of becoming a lukewarm Christian. I don't know if you are, I am because of all these things that Jesus is talking about here. And he says, my words need to remain in you. And he says, it's those who abide, who remain in Jesus, who devote themselves so that Jesus remains in them. It is those people who commune and pray with God. And on that basis of knowing Jesus words and abiding in him, it's those people who show, and that word remain, 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 continually devoted themselves, continually, not just one day, not just one week, but continually, continually persevering. It's those people, Jesus says, who show they are truly my disciples. And I can preach this, but living it is a war for me. And I think it is for you. And I just want us at least just to be honest about that today. And then the author warns us, he says, if every transgression and disobedience received a just distribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? Next slide. The punishment, the punishment. He's saying to try to motivate us. If he can't motivate us with the carrot of the great salvation, with the carrot of the new covenant, with the carrot of intimacy with God, with the carrot of delight in the one who our soul was meant to love and who loves us more than we're loved by anybody. If he can't motivate us by that, he wants to warn us with the stick, Of punishment. And he's basically saying, listen, if God was faithful to bring his punishment in Israel when they drifted away from a lesser covenant that had way less glory and way less love and way less worth, even after repeated warnings and merciful pleadings from all these prophets to turn back to him, I mean, he was patient for years and years and years and decades and decades. If he did finally indeed bring the invading nations and he did drive them from the land. If they were punished for not taking this lesser covenant, seriously, do you think you can neglect and drift away and and ignore Jesus who is literally saying to you, don't neglect me. And do you think you can do all that and be okay? He's saying, no, you can't be okay. And so today the Holy Spirit is seeking to call me back to deeper devotion to Jesus Christ. And I don't want you to think to get the wrong idea. Like I'm, I'm trying to have my quiet times. I had some quiet times this week. It's on my mind every day. I just, I just know how much I love TV. And I want to love Jesus like way more than that at nine when I'm really tired. And so we come back to this word devoted, devoted, be devoted to this great salvation. I mean, isn't it ironic that God this morning is warning us against drifting away from something that's so glorious and so good and ultimately so comforting and life giving and joy giving. Like it's really a form of madness in us that would neglect it. Our taste buds are so backwards. And so here's the prescription. He says, the remedy is, is this the remedy pay much closer attention. And in in the Greek, it can be constructed, pay the utmost attention, pay the most attention, pay constant attention. And again, I don't want to put you in my shoes. Maybe today he's calling us to persevere in in the devotion to Jesus that we're already experiencing gangbusters. But that's what he's saying. He's saying, don't neglect it. Don't neglect it. Pick it up. Pick up this message and cherish it. Treasure it. Pay attention to it. Be devoted to it. Be devoted to this message. Be devoted to the words of my son. Be devoted to the the truth about the salvation he offers you. Be continually devoted to it. And I don't want to get too far into the weeds of what that might look like for you. But devotion to the message of salvation will look like something for you. It will look like something for me and and God, he would not give us this exhortation and then not help us understand how to live that out. Like he's going, if you want to increase your devotion, if you feel like you're already devoted, he'll help you stay devoted. If you feel like you're not devoted, he will help you. Today, tomorrow, over the next few weeks, if you really want to return to devotion, he will help you and me do that. And so I don't want to get too much in the weeds. And let me, let me say also, there's a corporate dimension to this, that we, we do this devotion together, just like they did in, in, in the first church. But I'm going to save the corporate dimension for, for other parts of this little mini series. And today I just want to look at just some individual ideas here. So these application points are going to mainly be thought of in terms of your own personal experience. Think in terms of being devoted daily. Think in terms of being devoted daily. And I say that because we are supposed to seek a life of loving God above all things, right? Love the Lord your God. And and, in this life that God's given us to live, he gives it to us a day at a time. Like that's how God calls us to live one day at a time. He says in Matthew six, don't worry about tomorrow. Live with today's troubles only let tomorrow wait for tomorrow. And in in, in the Lord's prayer in Matthew, I think it's Matthew six as well. He calls us to talk to God daily in the Lord's prayer, right? Give us today our daily bread and say, give us this week, our weekly bread. Give us this month, our monthly bread. The implication is God wants to hear from you every day. He commands us that if we're really going to be his disciples to pick up our cross daily, right? That's what he says. Pick up his cross daily and follow me. David said, each morning, every day, Psalm 5, I lay my request before you and I wait in expectation. Psalm 1, David says, I meditate on God's words day and night each day. So I think it's a reasonable question to ask. Shouldn't I be having a meaningfully close meeting with the most important person each day? Like the one I'm supposed to love above all things. Shouldn't I be having a meaningfully close meeting with him each day? And shouldn't the most part of that engagement with him be paying close attention to this great salvation? affirming who Jesus is, what he's done for me, pledging myself to depend on him this day, to depend on his strength to live for him because it's so hard to live for him. And in a daily time of seeking in his word and his prayer, it it seems to be the the historical custom of the holiest people I know in history and in my own life of friends. I've, I've never met, I can't remember ever meeting a man or a woman who I know, who I knew was devoted, and maybe you have, but I can't remember ever meeting a man or a woman who I know was devoted to seeking God daily in his word, whoever just bailed on him. I don't, I don't know that person. I, I, I have seen people walk away from their profession of Jesus and thought to myself after the fact or learned after the fact. They, they were not someone I would have seen as devoted to seeking God zealously in their daily life. So I, I just think that's a good thing to think of is, is doing this daily. Um, a few resources to remind you guys about. There are so many books out there that you know about probably. And, and if you don't, you can ask me. I'll, 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 I'll hand you books. If I can't hand them to you, I'll help you order them. But a few ideas from our website. That In the first page, there's a menu for something called 10 ideas. It's basically a list of 10 tips. I've curated from various sources to help you kind of kickstart your devotional life or to help maybe improve it, sustain it. Some are practical, like choose the same place each day, have a plan. Some are theological, like how to, like, let's not make our quiet time, our salvation, our righteousness. There's, There's another little menu item called daily prayer. This, this prayer is, it's my attempt to put this message of our great salvation into a prayer. So that as you pray, you're reminded of this message, of of all that you have in Jesus. And I'm I'm sure I'm missing things we we have in Jesus, but it is salvation. Each week I send out Sunday recaps so that you can dig deeper into the passages we look at here in your care group and in your devotional life. All of these are just my little attempts to help you guys pay closer attention to this great salvation. And there's tons of other good resources out there. But listen, I don't wanna make this about what, technically needs to be done more than I want this about you meeting with God about this in your own soul today. So I want for us to close cast the band to come back up. I, I want us to close with a time of prayer. And in this time of prayer, I want to encourage you, to renew your desire in this time with God to pay close attention and not drift. So I want to offer you a couple of thoughts to just bring to him. Tell him that you want to treasure him as you should right now if you don't. And if you are that you want to keep it going and go deeper, just tell him that that you want to treasure him as you should tell him that you want to pay close attention to the message of Jesus as, as he wants you to. You may not know what that looks like right now, but Lord, however you want this to look in my life, I I want to do this. I want to pay close attention to this great salvation. And if there are ways I'm not, help me see that. Tell him you need his help to protect you from drifting away through neglect. And, and lastly, just ask him, Lord, would you help me understand what this looks like for me? I wanna follow you in this. Help me Help me look, help me let this look the way you want it to look in my life. So let's go in prayer.